reminder of this morning of the true meaning behind Christmas, that it really is all about God leaving here, uh, leaving heaven, coming here uh, to give us the gift of his own son, Jesus. And that's why we are in uh, this teaching series called Christmas Presents. We've been in this uh, series for uh, today will mark a week five. And what we are discovering is that God wanted to be present with each one of us. And so he literally came here, lived in the person of Jesus. And then when Jesus left, he still left his presence for every person, for every person who would believe that Jesus really was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He gave them the Holy Spirit to live inside of them, allowing the presence of God to be now be inside of us. And over the past five weeks, what we've been uh, doing each week is unwrapping a different gift that the Holy Spirit brings for us. And today, what we're going uh, to do is we're going to look at this idea of unwrapping the gift of hope. Now, I don't know, kids, um, I don't know what you are hoping for in your Christmas, uh, you know, tomorrow underneath the tree, right? You're ho- are you hoping for that Nintendo Switch? And maybe some of the dads are like, I'm hoping for the Nintendo Switch, right? But, uh, or that video game, or may- maybe it's that Barbie or that truck. I don't know what you're hoping for, but I remember when I was in fifth grade. Do we have any fifth graders in here? Raise your hand if you're in fifth grade. All right, Beck's in fifth grade. Any other fifth graders in, in the room? I can't see, uh, yeah, we got some adults who think they're in fifth grade. But... <laughs> When I was in fifth grade, I was hoping for a dirt bike. Now, I grew up around motorcycles, and when I say dirt bike, I mean like one that has an engine, right? So I'm talking like a a dirt bike like that. So um, I'm hoping for my, we would go to the motorcycle shop, and my, uh, I would go with my dad all the time, and I would see the ones I want, I'd point them out, right? I'd be like, Dad, I'm hoping, maybe this Christmas, this could be mine. And I knew it was too big, right, to put underneath the tree, so I'm looking in the garage everywhere, I'm looking behind the pile of firewood, like, where have they hidden this thing? On Christmas morning, it was not there. It wasn't outside. It wasn't in the garage. It was nowhere. But I kept on hoping. And I would hope for nine more months. I would hope and I would ask. I would hope and I would ask. And then finally, on my birthday in September, I saw my dad coming down the driveway in his pickup truck. And there in the back was that Suzuki RM100. I was like, oh my, and you know what RM stands for, right? Racing machine, baby. It's a racing machine. So, um, I would, I, and there it was. I was, I mean, it was like amazing, right? And then I just, I rode that thing to death. But, that's not the kind of hope that we're going to talk about this morning. Not the kind of hope that your hope and shows up underneath your Christmas tree. We want to look at the kind of hope that's a biblical hope. Biblical hope isn't wishful thinking. Biblical hope is trusting God at his word. Even in our darkest moments, that one day everything will be made right in his timing. This is the kind of hope 
that we want to unwrap this morning. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Take your Bibles, uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, that's fine. I'll uh, be sharing these verses on the screen. Uh, But we encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to bring your Bibles. We want you to see this for your very self in your own Bible. So we've been working through uh, the Gospel of John. And as we've been working through the Gospel of John, today on Christmas Eve, we've landed on John chapter 18. And here we have the authorities looking for Jesus. And to catch you up, just to give you the context, that Jesus um, is, this is Jesus at the end of his life, literally, uh, uh, here on earth. And he has just finished uh, being with the 12 disciples. There are 12, right, at the Last Supper. But then Judas leaves. And Jesus continues this conversation. And as they wrap up, Jesus wraps up this conversation about how he's leaving, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. Don't worry, I'm not going to abandon you. There's still hope. And, and then Jesus calls him and says, hey, let's go. And they walk outside of the walls of Jerusalem, just outside of the wall. Literally, you step out, walk down the stairs of the walls of Jerusalem and you walk through the Kidron Valley. And then you walk up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we find ourselves in the text. Let's read. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches and weapons. You see, they came looking for Jesus and they were ready for battle. They were ready to take him out. Notice what Jesus does. What boldness. What confidence. Look what happens, what Jesus does. Then uh, Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, jumped on his motorcycle and got right out of there. Right? No, he didn't do that. Look, look what he does. When he, even though he knew everything that was going to happen to him, he went out. He went right up to them. He confronted them. And he's like, who is it that you're looking for? Who is it that you're seeking? Think about that. In fact, I want you to think about this question. What are you looking for? And I'm not talking about you're looking for that next job promotion. I'm not talking about you're looking for that next vacation. Or you're looking for what's underneath the tree, kids. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bigger. I'm talking about back up a little bit. I'm talking about life. What are you looking for in life? And as we ask ourselves this question, what are you looking for? And what are you looking for in Jesus? Because the soldiers, the religious leaders of that day were looking for Jesus and they were looking to take him out, to, you know, to, to, to torture him. But this reminds us of the Christmas story. Because in the Christmas story, see, that's... At Jesus' end of his life, the soldiers were looking for him. The religious leaders were looking for him. But in the beginning of his life, remember in the Christmas story, in the beginning of his life, people were looking for him. 
Remember the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2? The wise men looking for Jesus. They show up, they travel, and they show up in Jerusalem. Let's, let's remind ourselves of some of this story. Uh, verse number 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. That's not where Jesus was, but that's where they went. Saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and we have come to worship him. Totally different than how the soldiers and the religious leaders were uh, looking for him. They were looking for him, but they had another ulterior motive. They had another purpose. But here, these wise men are looking for him and they're looking for him to actually worship him. Why are you looking for Jesus? What are you hoping to get out of Jesus? If we honestly just like seek Jesus, not for what he can give to us, but just for who he is, it elicits worship. Look what happens. Finally, the wise men, they figure out, oh, he's not in Jerusalem. Oh, he's over in Bethlehem. Let's go there. They find out the house. Now, um, time has expired. We don't know whether it's been two months or two years, but it's been somewhere in between there. Look what happens. Entering the house, they saw the child, meaning Jesus, with Mary, his mother, falling to their knees. They worship. They worship him. Not because they were wanting something from him. What are you looking for in Jesus? Are you just looking just to worship him? They acknowledge who he is. Notice the gifts that they show up at this, you know, at this baby shower. This isn't the typical baby shower uh, gifts, right? I mean, when's when's the last time you said, hey, you know, we got to get a couple of gold bars to bring for the baby shower, right? No, you're looking to make those diaper pyramid or cake things, you know, whatever those things are. That's what you show up with. But here... They're showing up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing that they acknowledge that Jesus was a king. Frankincense? Did you know frankincense was used in temple worship? It was used as part of their worship. So here, they're bringing this spice to worship. As an act of worship. And myrrh? Myrrh? was used in ancient Israel as like an embalming type of thing. It was to wrap a body uh, that was decaying to help keep the stench of the decay down. They would wrap it in myrrh. And here they are, these wise men, probably unknowing to them, but here they are acknowledging that this baby was born to die. We'll come back to myrrh. In a moment, I want to speak to every Christ follower in the room, every one of you that have placed your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus. I I want I, I want you to think about how long you've been following Jesus and you either have lost hope or you're about ready to lose your grip on hope. Because I want us to see somebody else in another narrative in the Christmas story who's in the background His name is Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, here is Simeon looking for Jesus. He's looking for the Messiah. 
And here in the background, Luke gives us this description of Simeon. This, uh, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He's looking, for, uh, looking forward to Israel's consolation. What does that mean? Israel's consolation. He, um, he's looking for Israel's Messiah. That's what consolation means. He's looking for comfort. He's looking for the one who's going to come and rescue his people from their oppression because they have, they are being, they've been oppressed, they are being oppressed, and the, he's waiting for that anointed one, that Messiah who's going to come and rescue them. Now, the amazing thing about Simeon is that he's been doing this his entire lifetime. And he hasn't given up hope. Think about this. That Simeon is holding on to a promise that was given 700 years ago through a prophecy in Micah. That there in Bethlehem, that is where that Messiah, the appointed one, is going to come. He's holding on to a prophecy that was given in Isaiah 9 600 years ago. And he hasn't lost hope in his lifetime. Right? I mean, we're talking like if he was to think back through his family tree, right? We're talking about his great, 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 possibly great grandfather when they, when his, when they were around. That's how long ago it was. And this prophecy was given and he's still holding on. He's like, man, maybe today's the day. And look what happens. In Luke 2, if we slide down to verse number 27, guided by the Spirit. See, this again, the, pow, the, the presence of God, notice the, the importance of the Holy Spirit, but, uh, guided by the Spirit, he, uh, he entered into the temple, I mean in Simeon. When the parents, being in Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to perform uh, for him what was customary under the law, Simeon sees him, right? He takes him, he took him up in his arms, he praised God, and then listened to this prayer. Now, Master, that's like saying, now, Heavenly Father, he says, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was. Some speculate, and there's, you know, it's just speculation, that because he, he's praised this part of the prayer, dismiss your servant, like he's more towards the end of his life. He could, but he could be you know, 30. But to him, it didn't matter. Because what he had hoped for, it was actualized. It was there. And when he saw Jesus, he saw him as the one who would bring that consolation, that healing that power, the hope. See, we can hope like Simeon. If you're a Christ follower, here's my, here's my challenge to you. The act of looking creates a sense of hope. Let us be more like Simeon. Continue to look. Don't you give up. Just because God hasn't answered your prayer in the last three months, don't you give up. You keep on praying and asking, God, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Don't you give up because you've been praying for three years or 15 years or even if it's been 30 years. Don't you give up. Don't give up hope. Let's be like Simeon. Now, back into our text in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, verse number 37, uh, Jesus has now already been arrested. He's taken. He's before Pilate. 
Let's let, take a, a, a listen to this conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate says to him, you are a king then? And Jesus' response is this, you say that I'm a king. And again, notice the confidence that Jesus has. For I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this. Jesus knew He knew his purpose, and it was for this, even through, even though he knew he was going to be tortured, even though he knew that he would be beaten, even though that he knew that he would be nailed to that cross and then have that spear jammed up his side. He was like, I was born for this. This is why I came. Let's go back to that myrrh. That those wise men brought. Do you know another, another reason that they would use myrrh in ancient Israel? Was as a healing agent. And Jesus knew that without his death, without his death there could be no hope. He knew that without his death there could be no healing because Jesus knew that death would only keep him for three days but then on that third day there would be hope of new life this is the hope that you and I can trust in in fact here's the way the writers of Hebrews put it and I just want to focus in the middle part of the verse we have fled for our refuge and in context, this, this, this whole passage is talking about who Jesus is. We have fled, uh, we who have fled for our refuge, those Christ followers who have believed, who have fled to Jesus for the refuge for their soul, might have a strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. The hope of who Jesus says he is. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Do you have this kind of hope? Do you have, do you, when you think of Jesus, you're like, oh yeah, he's my salvation. He is the hope that I have. He's like this anchor. Christ follower, does your hope need to be restored? Have you lost hope? Because, listen, biblical hope isn't wishful thinking. Biblical hope is trusting God at His Word, even in our darkest moments, in those times when we are in the most pain. It's trusting that at, one, at some point, God will make it right. It's going to be in His timing, though, not yours. So, we have two possible next steps. Now, maybe you felt God speaking to you in a different way, and you have a different next step. That's totally fine. But I'm going to suggest two. Will you take the connection card that's in front of you? Will you take that out? It's on the chair in front of you. So reach up. I know it's a long reach. Come on, reach. Move your arms. All right, reach out. And look at this first next step. Step number one says this. It's here on the screen. But what you have on that card is on the back side. It says next steps. And it has one, two, and three. We only got two this morning. And number one says this, I have never received the kind of hope that Jesus offers each person who believes he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So pray for me. I want this kind of hope. We want to pray for you by name. So would you just circle uh, step number one, if, that's, if this is where you find yourself. Put your name on there and then just drop it into the offering boxes. There are offering boxes in this room, in the back of the room. 
on your way out, put that in there. And this week when our team gathers, we'll pray for you by name that this will become so clear to you that you'll feel so drawn to this. You won't even be able to explain it. But all of a sudden you have a renewed or a a hope that you've never had before. Now, the step number two are for people who have already placed their hope in the person of Jesus, but you've lost it. It says, I've lost sight of the truth I believe in. I need to have my hope restored. Pray for the restoration of my hope and anchor for my soul. Put your name on there. Drop it into the offering boxes. And this week, we'll pray that God will restore your hope. I want to pray for you quickly right now. So, Father, I'm praying for the person who has never received your hope. And God, whether they're watching online or whether they're right here in the room, we are praying that you will give them that understanding that you truly can be a hope, an anchor for their soul. But Jesus, I'm praying also for the Christ follower that's lost hope. Will you come and restore hope, restore their hope like you never have before, I pray in Jesus' name.